Before we dive in to this week's episode of the USCA official podcast, we wanted to celebrate the USCA's partnership with H&C Horse and & Country and the recently launched eventing channel. And so I have got a very special guest to tell us a little bit more about it and what is in store. So I'm very pleased to welcome to the USCA podcast, none other than Director of Strategic Partnerships in North America, Tati Singer. That is quite a title. Yes, it is. Um, I handle all of our partnerships and ad sales and marketing in North America uh, for Horse and Country, including the U.S. Eventing Partnership. So tell me a little bit more about the partnership, when it launched and what it is, um, because I, for one, am all for anything that means that I can watch more eventing. Yes, for sure. We've actually been partners with USDA for a little more than a year, um, but we have recently launched the channel page, which is right front and center on the Horse and Country uh, homepage. And it has everything um, U.S. eventing related, as well as international eventing for folks to go to and watch lovely content. Uh, There's international uh, live streams. There are um, U.S. live streams like Mars Great Meadow and Carolina International, um, as well as different fun, various different shows as well. I was going to ask, so what is that? Because obviously there are the, the big competitions to watch, but there is so much more than than just the big live streams of cross-country action. There's educational, there's entertaining. Give us a bit more of an insight into that. Yes, for sure. There are there are lots of different things on H and Z. Um, so one of the one of my favorite shows that we did in the U.S. is Frankie Feasts with Will Faudry. Um, so Frankie uh, Stutes goes into Will's home in North Carolina and bakes with him, um, and it's very fun. Uh, everybody should check it out. She goes in, she bakes with him, she checks out his property, hangs out with his whole team. Definitely fun and entertaining. Um, So that is one of the most fun entertainment shows. Uh, And then there's obviously lots of training and learning, master classes with Will Faudry and Will Coleman um, and Liz Halliday Sharp uh, and lots of other things as well. I love that. I always think if you open somebody's fridge, you get a real insight into their soul. (laughs) It tells you a lot about a person. What have we got coming up over the next few months? Coming up uh, the week of October 21st, the 23rd, is the uh, event at Terra Nova. Um, it was the four-star uh, event. Um, we're also doing showing the um, the CDI as well for a little dressage from there, uh, but it's very exciting. And then at the end of the month, we have uh, Poe from France exclusively, the five-star um, exclusively on h So you can watch some international eventing as well. Lots coming up. Um, and there is a sneaky little discount for any USCA members who would like to sign up to h Plus to watch all of this. Yes, there is. So all US eventing uh, members receive a 15% discount on the annual membership that you can access if you log into your online services account on the USCA website. There you go, listeners. If you are heading into those darker nights thinking, I really want to keep my eventing fix going, uh, I need some more entertainment in my life, um, then you know where to find it. Tati, thank you so much. And we'll look forward to everything that we've got coming up. I'm going to go and check out what's in Will Fordry's fridge with Frankie <laughs> Feast with Will. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks, Nicole. You're listening to the USCA official podcast, which takes you behind the scenes of eventing, covering all the big events, professional tips and tricks, interviews, special guests, and the latest USCA eventing news. 
episode of the USCA official podcast is the next in our Hall of Fame special. So this year, uh, a new class is joining the 47th. 49 now because we've had two new inductees already this year in the USCA Eventing Association Hall of Fame. Now, essentially, just to give you a bit of background on the Hall of Fame, if you're not familiar with it. So induction into the Hall of Fame is the highest honour awarded within the sport of eventing throughout the US. And those invited to join the Hall of Fame have really made a difference. And we have had so many different members over the years from past presidents, volunteers, riders, designers, officials officials, horses even, coaches, there there has been such a variety. But the one thing that they all have in common is that they have absolutely made their mark on the sport and have left a legacy for the sport of eventing as well. And and no more so than today's guest. And I'm delighted to welcome her onto the show. I'm looking forward to very much hearing about her career. She is a lady who was one of the first women to lead the way as men and women competed equally against each other in the sport for the very first time. She has been an absolute stalwart within US eventing for a number of years, held roles such as team selector, young rider chairman, been on many USEA boards, organised all manner of top-level events and was instrumental in the success of the Pan American Games in 2003. I mean, basically, listeners, her CV is extraordinary. Trish Gilbert, we are delighted and honoured to welcome you to the show. Hello. (laughs) It is very, very good to have you with us, Trish. Um, We're looking forward to hearing more about your journey and your eventing career. But I guess let's go back to the beginning. Where did your love of horses come from and where did the love of eventing start for you? Uh, The love of horses came from fox hunting. Um, I grew up in Virginia where there was a lot of hunting, and my grandmother rode to hounds for years, always side saddle. And uh, so I I was hunting from the time I was five on on ponies with a pad saddle and spending a lot of time on the ground and sometimes on top. And and I went from there, and then Pony Club arrived, and so I, I was very involved in Pony Club, and that's sort of where it went. That's where my eventing came from, was through Pony Club. Because in those days, Pony Club was really just eventing. It wasn't all the other sports. So how did the, I guess, the the foundation come in terms of it being something that you thought that was going to be with you for the rest of your life? Did you know that horses were always going to be very much part of your life? Or was that sort of circumstantial as things progressed throughout the years? Uh, well, I mean, it, they were part of my life, and I just, I just continued, um, continued the march and and doing various things. Uh, I, I went, I went to the first combined training clinic in Vermont in 1957. So I sort of went from there, and that's where I got, that's where I did my first three day event. So if we if we kind of rewind the clock to sort of the late fifties, um, and I, I mentioned at the top of the show, you you were really one of the original trailblazers in terms of men and women competing equally. It's something that we take for granted now. There are very few sports where men and women do compete on equal footing. Eventing is one of them, and actually, you were one of those who sort of set the the way going. Did it feel like that at the time? It just felt like that was. You know, if if I had the horse and I, I wanted to go to an event, I would do a lot of prep and hope that it worked and went and had a good time. Were there any barriers or was it actually if you were there, you, ha- you were prepared, actually you were good to go? It wasn't like you had to qualify to get someplace like you do today. Okay. 
So actually, it was almost a little bit more sort of open to to opportunity. But what about what about sort of your eventing career in those early days? Is there a, a sort of a moment or a particular highlight that stands out for you looking back that you're most proud of? I mean, I, I think I'm very fortunate that I was I was able to compete in, in quite a few of the, the major three-day events in the East Coast. I, I never went further than that. Um, I did I did spend six months in Ireland riding with Colonel Dudgeon, and I had a horse that I was going to do punches down, but, but she went lame before punches down, so that took care of that. So how did the jump come from riding and eventing yourself into sort of more of the organization of the sport? In Pony Club... I, I became a DC, a district commissioner, and I was just uh, a DC in Virginia for between DC and Maryland, 26 total, 26 years. And because we were running, we ran an event at, in, in Virginia at Blue Ridge on the farm. Um, I went from there, and Jack Legoff at that point was doing the course design, and so I was always following him around. So I sort of went from course designing, and and I and I was. I, I became a TD, and so I went from TD to course design um, and continued along those paths. So how long were you involved at Blue Ridge Horse Trials in particular for? Well, I rode in them before I was in, before they were at the farm um, because the McKay-Smiths ran them. Alec McKay-Smith ran them for a long time, and Stuart Trevoranis, and then when... And 71, well, actually, Blue Ridge ran from 71 to 80, 81. And at that point, Blue Ridge became the spring championship that was the advanced championship and, and became, and then Kentucky became the championship. Okay, so it evolved over time. How did it differ, kind of moving more into a championship feel of competition organization? You just had to be really, really crazy to put your hand up and say yes. <laughs> <laughs> we we talk to, to so many people from different walks of life. And the one kind of resounding thing that, that comes across is you've absolutely got to have a village. Who, who has been your village over the years at Blue Ridge in particular, for starters? Oh, the Pony Club. I mean, okay. the village Pony Club because... All our volunteers were Pony Club volunteers from there. That's where it started. And hopefully they have been inspired for future generations as well. Um, moving on from, from Blue Ridge and to some of the different hats that you have worn in the eventing world, because, I mean, you, you've had a whole variety. You've been massively involved as either a team selector. You've been heavily part of the Young Riders um, program, which I guess from from your background of coming up through Pony Club, as that sort of the next progression from Pony Club would have been a, a really exciting one for you. Is that fair to say? Uh, yes, yes. I mean, I was I was vice president, Pony Club vice president for uh, uh, it used to be combined training um, back in those days. And uh, so, you know, I got to, I got to see a lot of things around, around the countryside and I went from there and then I would, at that point, then I was also doing um, technical delegate work and course design work. So that took me sort of far in a field around the country and eventually to Mexico and Guatemala and places like that. 
And actually, one of the the roles that you you had, and and one of the the things that you you did, you were instrumental in the two thousand and three Pan American Games, um, and and the success of that. What was that like? Because obviously, you had your your sort of village around you at Blue Ridge, and and with other events that you had worked at, and sort of your your team. Well, we, already, for the we year. already had we already had the village at Fair Hill because <laughs> we were already running events at Fair Hill. Okay, so you were able to call upon them. Yep. Yep. And, and what about the USCA and your time serving on different committees and boards within the USCA? Is there one that stands out for you um, that, that was a particular? Uh, well, in the USCA, I was, I was Area 2 chairman uh, for quite a few years. And then the USCF, I was vice president for eventing many, many moons ago. And uh, then I was, a, I was a selector at one point. So I've sort of played little bits and pieces of roles various places. Is there one that stands out uh, across all of the different roles that you've held over the years, from organising, from course designing, um, that that is a particular favourite? Did you enjoy the one the most? Is that okay? Is, are you allowed to say that? <laughs> uh, I I enjoy I enjoyed the course designing. I I enjoyed the technical delegate situation particularly FEI, because you got to travel and you got to meet all kinds of wonderful people all over the place. Is that something that actually you, you've you seen? I mean, the sport has changed massively over the time frame that we've seen. Um, from, from an official's perspective, I imagine the role of technical delegate would have changed enormously. How, how did it look when you first started doing it? And how did it evolve within your time that you sort of served as a TD? Well, I think we, I think you really say the rule bet went from one page to a hundred pages. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a very fair point. Everybody had to read the rules quite yeah. significantly. As well. yeah. I mean, I, I think they're probably more than a hundred pages now, Trish. To be honest, exactly. For anybody that isn't familiar with what a TD does, just give us a little insight because I think it's one of those roles that actually is. Um, underplayed often in its importance in the success and the kind of the the smooth running of the sport well the, the td is an important member of the team with the with the organizer and the ground jury and and as long as uh everybody works together it it usually the the end result is great and uh but it is hard work and and it's long hours and you've got to be not afraid to go and get dirty and scrounge around and See what's happening on the ground. That's the best. That's the best bit of eventing of kind of getting in behind the scenes and seeing just how what makes it tick. Um, yeah. The sport itself has changed massively over the years. What was your take on the evolution of eventing and, and how it was when you first started out to the sport that I guess we we know and see a lot of today? A lot of it's changed, but a lot of it is still the same. There's still the there's still the camaraderie. Um, you know, there's still sort of the feeling of an extended family. And so that's good. That's still there. The family is, is such a big part of eventing, isn't it? You know, it's, as I said about the village, the community of eventing. And, and I guess it's different to other sports. You wouldn't see um, two footballers prior to a big game or two soccer players prior to a big game kind of trading ideas on how they were going to play. Whereas in eventing, that is something, you know, you'll you'll get your big 
Kentucky cross country track and you'll have two big riders there going, well, how are you going to ride this and what line are you going to take? And I think, Trish, that's something that's pretty special and pretty unique for the sport of eventing, isn't it? I agree. And, and you don't even have to go as far as tennis. You can go just within a discipline in, in the equestrian world. It's very true. Yeah, absolutely. Very true. Um, we are recording this the week before the, the Maryland Five Star is about to kick off. Um, you had a huge part of the eventing journey at Fair Hill. Give us an insight into your experience and your role at Fair Hill, and then perhaps an insight into what it means actually to see it over the years having progressed. And now, of course, we, we're in the second year of running the, the Five Star there. When, I, when we moved, we moved up here from Virginia in '83, and I, uh, I was, I was a course designer at that point, and and Dennis Glockham was running an event at Fair Hill, and and so he asked me to be the course designer, which I did, so I was involved there, and then, and then when Chesterland um, decided not to run anymore, it was pretty obvious that Fair Hill is such an extraordinary place not too many places have 5,600 beautiful acres to play on, that that was the place to, uh, to run, to, to, to move the, what, what was then, what, there were no stars then, but the advanced championship in the fall. In the fall. So that, that's, that's what we did. And what does it mean now to see, you know, from, from where it started, all the, the progression that has happened actually to be able to see the five-star happening? It was talked about for a very long time. So now that it's finally sort of unfolded and here, what does that mean to somebody who's been involved in the sport in that area for so long? Got to watch out what you ask for. (laughs) 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 Well, it it was a lot of hard work. It was something that we strove for. It was something that, I mean, it's sort of all our team worked so hard and and we were finally, finally given the recognition that we've done a good enough job to, to give it a shot. What about the um, the highlights? Obviously, there have been many over the years. But looking back, Trish, are there any that stand out for you as moments that you are most proud of? Well, I guess one of them would probably be being able to ride vicariously through my through my daughter and some of my, two of my grandchildren. That's been the most exciting part is watching them and compete. And my daughter is now a TD also, which is wonderful. And uh, so, you know, it's we've kept a little piece of it in the ham- family. That's really lovely. Are they? Did they come up through the Pony Club ranks and, and have that kind of involvement as well? Yep, they did. And what would you say to anybody that is starting out in their eventing journey now who perhaps is a little bit unsure as to, to where their journey is going to take them? What, what would your word of advice be? You've had an amazing career within the sport. You love the sport. How would you like to see other people harness that and, and kind of take Find it on? Find a really good pony club. Find a really good pony club. Okay, that is good advice. I have to admit, my pony club days, albeit um, in the UK as opposed to the US, were absolutely some of the, the happiest of, of that I could have ever asked for. Um, and very, very fond memories. And I think have really shaped what my kind of sight and vision is on, on equestrian sport as well. Um, in terms of your roles within the sport, is there one that stands out 
as a highlight? I, I, I don't know that I can really pluck one out. It's like picking a favorite child, isn't it? It's, it's the yeah. they've all they've all played their part, the pieces of the puzzle. What about their being inducted into Hall of Fame? Because I know that you were surprised at your home by some very close personal friends uh, in Doctors Tim and Nina Gardner, but as well as uh, USCA COO Rob Burke, lots of friends and family were in on the the surprise as well. Just talk us through that initial moment of finding out. Well, a whole lot of very sneaky people. <laughs> um, my daughter, Rumsey, uh, said that she was going to come up for lunch, wanted to know if I uh, was going to be available for lunch. <clears throat> and I said, sure. So anyway, then a couple of the other kids said that they would might stop by too. And I thought, well, but this happens quite often, so that's all right. And then I said to Rumsey, how many people do you think are going to be here? Because I didn't know if the grandchildren were coming, which could be a large group. And she said, no, <clears throat> maybe 10. I said, okay. So I was sitting on the porch watching tennis, and they arrived. I was talking to them on the porch, and I never saw that Rumsey's husband had a, they brought tents, big tents up in the yard and the whole business. And all of a sudden... There were people everywhere. I mean, there were people that came from Virginia, from New Jersey, all over the place. We had something like, I don't know, 40-some people here. Very crafty. Very crafty. Did it make you emotional to know that that many people wanted to say thank you? Yes, it did. It did. It It certainly was a surprise. Well, look, Trish, you have had the most remarkable impact on eventing in the United States over the years. Um, And we cannot thank you enough for all of your hard work, your dedication. And I think for for giving a path to to lots of other people and kind of making them see what is possible, whether it be through your sort of early riding days, whether it be as a a TD through your young rider work, whatever pathway it might have been. Um, Thank you for for showing the way and for all of your hard work. It really is enormously appreciated by by everybody within the USCA and beyond and um, a very, very worthy inductee of the Hall of Fame. Well, thank you very much. Trish, it has been a pleasure. Listeners, we hope you've enjoyed a special insight into to Trish and her career. And we will be back very soon with lots more on the USCA official podcast. We have got our next episode, in fact, is all about prepping for winter. And we will have very special guests in Dom and Jimmy Schramm. So do stay tuned for that. Uh, for now, though, if you want to go back and re-listen to the first of our Hall of Fame shows with Janie Atkinson, you can absolutely do so. We'll pop the link in the show notes. Uh, that is all we've got time for today. We'll be back in a couple of weeks on the USCA official podcast. Thanks for listening to the USCA official podcast. If you have any suggestions or feedback, then we would love to hear from you. Get in touch through any of our social media platforms at US Eventing. And don't forget to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform to make sure you don't miss an episode.